I'm guessing we all have had the experience of being left, forgotten. Nobody's going to ever look for us again. Because that's how you think when you're six or seven years old, right? And you've stood out in front of the school too long waiting on mom and dad. Or, or left after practice. I don't remember exactly how old Colin was when he got to have this experience. But we were at the end of a week of vacation at the Outer Banks. And we'd already packed up the car, left the house. We were on our way home and we pulled into Stack'em High Pancakes to kind of have one more vacation moment, right? And, and so we finished eating and I told everybody, go to the bathroom, I'll get the car, I'll meet everybody at the door and, and, and we'll, go, we'll get on home. And so that happened and uh, just in defense of dad, and I feel pretty defensive for dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest here, the car was packed and, and you know, four or five, six people, it's just a lot of people, just, you know, after you get past four or five, what difference does it make, right? It's just a lot, it's just a lot of people. And, and, and so they all came out, the doors open, everybody got in, and the doors closed, and, and off we went to go home. And we weren't too far down the road, and I just kind of noted in my mind the kids were having a lot of fun. I mean, they were really happy, kind of snickering and laughing, and I'm thinking, that's, that's not normal. I mean, kids aren't happy at the end of, I mean, really, when you leave vacation, that's when kids, oh, I don't want to go home, you know, and they're way too, and I'm thinking they're way too happy. And so I said, what are y'all laughing about? What's, what's going on back there? And to which they all squealed with delight together. You left Colin at the restaurant. <laughs> and of course, I'm thinking, why didn't you tell me at the restaurant? <laughs> Wheeled back around. And I, and I realized just listening to them in that moment that, that this was really, I think, the whole highlight of their vacation. <laughs> was that living Colin? And, and as I pulled into the restaurant and saw Colin's face, I was guessing this is probably not the highlight <laughs> of his vacation. So we've all been there, right? We all, we all kind of know what, where am I? Where is everybody? Why, why isn't anybody looking for me? And, and, and I'm assuming since we know what that feels like, it shouldn't be hard for us to imagine what it was like for the disciples when, when Jesus told them he was leaving them. Now, you know, you look at these guys, and, and they're not perfect. The, the Bible certainly highlights places where they had a real lack of faith, other places where there was even sin. But these guys, man, they love Jesus. They love Jesus. They're devoted to Jesus. At this point in time, their devotion may be unparalleled by anybody else on the planet and, and, and they've given a lot to being devoted. They've given a lot to, to following Jesus, and, and it's cost them. And, and now all of a sudden he just up and says he's going to leave? Wait, what? What? Where's the kingdom? What the, this place is still a mess. Let's look and see how that conversation went and what was communicated in that moment. If you would, turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 14. I hope you have a Bible with you. I hope you have one every Sunday, man. This is, this is what we read. This is what we study. This is what we build and shape our lives on, right? Okay. Almost four of us do anyway. Okay, John chapter 14, you'll find that about, oh, what's that, 75, 80% of the way through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're thumbing through there, Acts, Romans, too far. So uh, when we get to John 14, as, you, as we're about to read this conversation, this is taking place in the upper room, okay, when we think of upper room, we think of what? Lord, Lord's Supper, this is the Thursday night 
this is hours before Jesus is going to be arrested. The next day he's going to be crucified. And so that's where this conversation is taking place. I've always been intrigued by the book of John. I, I, I think for this reason, you know, you hear the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're trying to give you and I a picture into the life of Christ. Most of that picture, like 98% of it, is the three years from 30 to, to 33. They're giving us that picture. And then there's a lot to cover there, right? And, and so when you think about one night, well, when you think about the upper room, if you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're going to give you about a half a chapter. And most of that is what? It's, it's the Lord's Supper, right? But when you come to John, John starting in about chapter 13. Now, there's only 21 chapters in John. But starting in 13, we're in the upper room. You've got almost a third of this gospel. A third of this book is about one night. This Thursday night, the upper room, and he's sharing with us what, what Jesus said, what he taught, what he did. Of course, there's the washing of the feet. There's the Lord's Supper. There's a lot going on in that Thursday evening. And so that's kind of where we are as we start to read this conversation. John chapter 14 Verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going, Thomas said to him, uh, no, not really, <laughs> Lord, we don't know where you're going. How, how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I like, I like the way this conversation right here opens. Don't, don't be troubled. Have you ever noticed you're never told not to be troubled unless there's a reason to be troubled? You know, there, there's something to be troubled about, and then somebody says, don't, don't be troubled. Are, are, are you troubled this morning? Are you troubled by, what, something going on in the world? Maybe something going on at home? Anybody in here, don't need to raise your hands, just troubled with having to be you. You know, it's just troubling being me. I'm a mess. You know, you, what, what are you troubled by today? You know what Jesus' word for you today would be? Not, not a word he has for you from 2,000 years ago, but, but what Jesus would say to you right here, right now today is, don't, don't be troubled. Believe in me, trust in me, believe in God, trust in God. It's, it's one and the same. Now, we indeed do live in a troubling world. We live in a troubling world today. They, they lived in a troubling world back then. As long as there's sin, there's trouble, Right? It's not which generation, which nation had the, the most trouble. No, we, we, there's, we've all got troubles. Every people group has, has troubles and there is much to be troubled in. And as we look at that trouble, as we try to navigate that trouble, Jesus says, hey, yeah, there's, listen, there's ways we do that in the right here and right now. But I'll tell you what's really going to get us through it is let's go out there to the future and look at what's coming. Let's look at what we're getting closer to every single day. And he says, man, I've got a, I've got a future for you. I've got an eternity for you. You know, I've got something much more personal than, than future and eternity. I've got a home. I've got a home for you. And listen to the way it's described, a home I've prepared for you. I mean, you and I are to take this personal. We're, we're to take this as if this is something he's doing for me. He's building this home for me. 
Now, boy, it's kind of neat to get caught up and thinking about how wonderful that is right up to the point where you go, wait, wait a minute, you're, you're going, you're, you're preparing, so you're, you're leaving. And, and they kind of got stuck on that point, the leaving part. You're, you're, you're going and preparing, that's great, but, but you're leaving here. Now, remember, as, as I just said, these guys have followed Jesus for three years. Why did they follow him? Because they believed he was the Son of God, Right? They believe he's the son of God. They, they believe he's the Messiah. And in that belief came some expectations. I mean, this is what the Bible's told me about a, a son of God, about a Messiah, is, hey, is this the guy that's going to get Rome out of here? Is this the guy that is, is going to kind of restore Israel to, to her glory and, and her prominence? Is, is this the guy that's going to make all things right in the world? Hey, what about last week's promise, justice? Is this the guy that brings justice, that, that, that evens the score, that, that makes everything right? And, 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 you know, this is what they're believing. So when he just out of nowhere says, I, I, I'm leaving... Well, then they're trying to put the math together. But God, this, is, this place is still, still a mess. None, none of these things have happened. And they're, they're, you're kind of unnerved at that moment, aren't you? If you've given three years, if you've walked away from everything to follow him, you're, this is a little bit of an unnerving moment. And it's into this unnerved moment that Jesus gives us one of the truly great, great promises of the Bible. And he says to them, very simply, I will come back and get you. You know, honestly, folks, <laughs> finish the sentence and take you with me to be where I am forever. That's really, I think, the best part of the promise. But I'm kind of stuck on that first part. I'm kind of stuck on how that first part relieves the anxiety, relieves the fear Helps us walk through the trouble. I'm not alone. I'm not forgotten. Jesus knows where I am. And he promises, I will come back and get you. And man, folks, that promise is, is given to you and me, was given to them, just kind of wrapped up in the most intimate and loving language. Now, I'm, I'm not saying you would read that. It would leap off the page to you that that is what is going on. But if you were from this place in history, if you were from this culture, you would hear it and you would see that the intimacy that he is speaking this promise with. For it is the, it is the language of a groom coming for his bride. In other words, this promise is being given kind of wrapped up in love and passion. Passion. Here, here passion. The, the passion of that groom for his bride. That means when he comes to get us. Because people can come to get us with different feelings going on, right? He says, when I come and get you, it is with passion. It is with love that I come to get you. Now you say, where, where, where are you seeing all that? Well, well, in this language, you've got to understand how the, how the culture worked back then. When a man and a woman were going to get engaged, when they were going to get married, the, 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 the groom would go to his father, tell him, hey, this is what's going on, this is what I'm thinking. And then the, the groom and his father would go together to the bride's family. It's kind of interesting. You know, today, when the, when the groom and the bride decide they're going to become a groom and a bride, they decide that, and it's an announcement to the families, right? Nothing like that here. 
No, no, no. The families would not have been getting an announcement. The families would have been a part of it. I mean, literally, they go to guess, sit down, we're going to hammer out a deal. You know, we got a dowry to talk about and what are the expectations and how's this going to work and what's going to happen. And when and with both families agreed, when everybody was on board, then now, now they're engaged. And their engagement was pretty tight. They, they didn't consummate the marriage at this moment, but really would be considered husband and wife at that moment. As a matter of fact, to break the engagement, they would have to go legally through what you and I would refer to as a divorce. Even though yet they're not, they're not living together, they haven't consummated, they're not husband and wife like that, and yet that's how strong the engagement was. So now the engagement's on the table, so the groom, now watch this, the groom would go back to his father's house. And he would begin to build on, he would begin to add a, a, a room, a, a, an addition, the wing of the house that would be his and his bride's where they would live and love together forever. Do you realize how that language now is describing that perfectly here? Not, not coincidentally, very on purpose. Jesus is, is describing it in this way. And, and when he finished adding on, when he finished the part of the house that would be theirs, then he would go for his bride. And, and when that happened, they would, they would blow a trumpet now that trumpet might be in Jerusalem or one of the larger cities, but a lot of people in Israel lived in villages. And so, you know, they blow that trumpet and everybody, everybody in the village would know, oh, the groom is coming for his bride. Can you imagine if there was two or three girls engaged at the same time? Man, they hear that trumpet, can you imagine? Oh, what? Is, is, this, is this today? Hey, that's kind of how it works with us too, isn't it? Isn't there a trumpet blown when he returns? Isn't there a trumpet announcing that the groom is coming for the bride? As a matter of fact, it's kind of crazy how much this, this wedding theme, this marriage theme kind of keeps getting attached to the return of the Lord. As a matter of fact, one of, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Revelation 19. Now, we're coming back to John 14, but maybe you want to turn to Revelation 19. Pretty easy thing to find. Go to the end of your Bible and then turn back a page or two. It's right at the end, Revelation 19, and this chapter is describing, is defining the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's, it's really, it's kind of what I'm going to read anyway, is defining the moments leading up to when the sky, the sky splits open and Jesus steps through. It's, it's those moments right before the curtain is pulled. So let me begin reading Revelation 19, verse 4. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. John here is, is watching something. He's hearing something. He's, he's trying to describe to you and me what he's hearing. And he says it's, it's like this great multitude. It's like a roar. It's like the mighty peals. You know, I think if John were writing this today, you know what he'd say? He said, then I, I heard these voices and it sounded like that, that 100,000 seat stadium when, when the home team scores the touchdown in the final seconds to go ahead and win. Have you, have you ever been in a stadium like that? 
Have you heard that roar and what that sounds like? Okay, if, if you have, get that sound in your mind because that's what these next words sounded like. Alleluia! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Oh, can you imagine those words coming from 100,000 people? Coming in that roar. And folks, do you realize what we just read? Our promise has already been fulfilled. The second coming is not the fulfillment of God's promise, of Jesus' promise, to come and get us. We're already there with Him when the second coming is about to happen. The rapture. The rapture is that promise. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and following. There'll be a trumpet. The groom will come. The church will rise to meet the Lord in the air. And we will go into heaven and the marriage will happen. And now we're at what? The marriage supper. When's the wedding reception? When's the, the party? When's the marriage supper? It's after the wedding. We, we, we've already been come and gotten for. We're, we're already now His belonging to Him in heaven. And it says there that we were given our reward of fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. What are the true words of God? Blessed are those who've been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Have you been invited? Have you been invited? Have you received your invitation? Are you a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb? That is absolutely something you can know. That's something you can be confident and sure of that you're a part of this this great blessing, these words that are true. This is a real event, a real moment that people will be at. Will you be there? We'll come back to that. In verse 10. Then I, that's John the Apostle writing, fell down at, the, at his feet. That's the angel who's showing him this vision. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, no, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the te- to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Man, if you only leave here today with two words, leave with those two. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which He is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. Hey folks, who's the armies of heaven? That's you and me. Who, look at verse 8. Who was just, who's in heaven wearing white linens, bright and pure? That's you and me. Jesus is not coming for us at the second coming. We're coming with Him at the second coming. We're in these armies. And I don't know about y'all, this seems like a really pretty darn cool moment. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Verse, what am I on? Verse uh, 15. 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man, that's a pretty awesome moment, isn't it, folks? Let's praise the Lord for that moment. This moment is real. This moment is coming. Folks, this is the moment where justice is done. This is the moment where all things are made right. Folks, it's this moment right here that we just read that every single prayer that you've ever prayed in your life is ultimately answered. Here is the answer to every prayer. The answer to every cry of mankind is in this moment. It's this moment right here that our Messiah, our love, is He your love? Is He the heartbeat, the passion of your life? If He is your love, this is the moment that your love is recognized by every nation, by all peoples, as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Man, praise the Lord for that. That's my Savior. That's my God acknowledged by all. Now, can you imagine, just trying to imagine this moment, think on this moment. This is our hope. This is our promise. And then Thomas talks. I love Thomas. Thomas is the guy that asks the absolute stupid question that we all want to know the answer to. I'm glad somebody's dumb enough to ask it out loud. And that would be Thomas. Not just here. He, he does it a couple of times. Uh, by the way, doubting Thomas, that, that's him. That's where that phrase comes from right here, the Apostle Thomas. And Thomas says, uh, that's fine, wonderful, and good and everything. Uh, I don't actually have a clue what you're talking about. I don't know where you're going. I don't know where this house is. Can you help me? I don't know the way. And Jesus says, Thomas, you don't need to know a way. Thomas, you need to know the way. And I am the way. I am the way of God. I am the truth of God. I am the life of God. And no one, no one anywhere, no one at any time, no one comes to the Father's house except through me. That may be one of the most profound sentences in all the scriptures. No one, no one in this room No one watching online. No one comes to the Father's house except through me. That means some things, folks. It means some hard things. It means Buddha is not the way to the Father's house. It means Joseph Smith and the angel Moroni is not the way to the Father's house. It means Mohammed and Jihad is not the way to the Father's house. It means money is not the way. To the Father's house. It it means being good enough. Being religious enough. Is not the way to the Father's house. How about this one? Sincerity. Is there anything bigger that shapes America today than sincerity? As long as it's what I sincerely believe. 
Listen, if this is sincerely how I look at myself and understand myself, if this is sincerely how I see the world and and understand life and, and other people, listen, if this is how I sincerely believe in God, if this is how I sincerely look at God and and define God, if this is what I sincerely hold to, then your one responsibility is to respect it, if not applaud that I've arrived at a place where I sincerely believe something. Folks, you, you can be sincerely wrong. Sincerity is not the way to the Father's house. Jesus is the only way to the Father's house. And because of this idea of sincerity that we have in America today, that statement that Jesus is the only way is going to be received more and more as arrogant as bigoted, as intolerant, but it's not. Jesus would only be bigoted, he would only be intolerant if he was saying, this is the way and it's only for these that I have. It's not, you others don't have that opportunity, that option because of who you are or where you were born or how you were, it's not, that. now that would be intolerant. But the way is open to all. The way is open to all who would receive Jesus. John 1, 12 says, but to all, to all, wherever you are, wherever you've been born, wherever you've done, wherever you're from, to all who would receive him, to all who would believe on his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God that will live where? In their father's house. Have you received Christ? Have you received the way to the Father's house? Have you received the way to receive an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb? The only way that invitation comes is through Jesus Christ. Have you received Him today as your Savior and Lord? Folks, if you've got any question, any doubt about that in your life, would you take a step of faith today and receive Him? Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can become mine and the invitation and the promise be yours. In a moment when we conclude the service, we go out right in the middle of our concourse, kind of back toward the the windows. There's a desk back there, some folks standing behind it that are waiting to talk to you, waiting to answer your questions about how right here, right now, today, you can receive Christ. Do you realize every single day we're getting one day closer to this? Every single day, we're getting closer to a moment where nothing in life will count than what you've done with Jesus. Nothing in life will matter. Nothing will be bigger more than the question, have you received Christ? Receive Him. Let today be the day that happens in your life. Now for the the rest of us in here that have received Christ, and and I trust it would be many, if not even most of us, What are we to do with this promise? I tell you, as I've thought about that and prayed about that all this week, thought about what I, me, not not you, just what what am I supposed to do with this promise, God? I found an application for me that I need to let this promise become a part of my prayers every day that I walk on this planet. 
Every day of my life on this planet, I need to pray, Jesus, may there be nothing that makes my heart beat faster. May there be nothing I want more for, pray more for, desire more for than to see you call my name. Than to hear that trumpet and me rise to be with you in the air. May there be nothing greater in my life than your return. You know what I find, folks, is in a church like ours, I would imagine, I don't, 98, 99% of us are going to say we believe in the return of the Lord. 98, 99% of us is, oh man, that's the great hope. That's the great answer. And we will go days, weeks, months, longer, and never think a thing about it. How can something be the great desire of my life if I never even think about it? And if I'm not thinking about it, if this is not the great promise in my life, then I will live this life troubled. Then I will live this life troubled. Let us pray that this is the singular great passion of our lives. Amen. Amen. You know, this book, it's a big book, isn't it? (laughs) A lot in here. Matter of fact, I would imagine, I would assume most of us in here have not read the whole book. We've got some favorite parts. A lot of it we have read. Maybe Maybe not the whole thing, not cover to cover. The big book. It covers 1,500 years of human history. Covers hundreds of of questions and issues and challenges and and how a believer, a follower of Christ walks through those things. Answers deep questions. Where am I from? Where am I going? Why am I here? Is there a God? Can you know that God? How do you know that God? It answers big, big questions questions and yet after dealing with 1500 years of humanity after answering all those questions I mean sooner or later you do get to the last page right and as you read that last page and you get down to the last line and you close this book the words left ringing in your ear are these he who testifies to these things says surely I am coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would that be our prayer? God, if we pray nothing else when we make, wake up tomorrow morning, may it just very simply be, Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, would you make that the passion and the drive and the desire of our lives. May this be a promise we think on every single day. And in it, find the peace that you have for us as we live in the trouble of this world. Lord, if there are any here in this room right now that... They're not confident they've received you, don't know how to receive you. I pray they would take a step of faith today and today would be the day that they become a child of God on their way to their Father's house. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.